His question hung in the air over the disciples. Their nervous answers brimmed with uncertainty. Some say John, others Elijah, Jeremiah, a prophet. But you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Good morning, everyone. If everyone would please stand for the reading of the word. I'm going to read from John 15, verses 1 through 17. And it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does, does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. And no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Please be seated. Thank you, Susan Wood. This is our sixth and our final sermon uh, in this series called, Who Do You Say I Am? It's the question Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say I am? And he makes these statements. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Today's Palm Sunday, and uh, as, as we celebrate that Jesus came into Jerusalem and branches were laid at his feet in, in praise of him and worship of him as he triumphantly entered, uh, we are those branches. We, uh, it, it says here that we are those branches, and he is the vine. We're looking at the I am statements, and someone asked me, well, how many exactly are there? How many of these I am statements are there in the Gospel of John? And it really depends on how you count it. A couple weeks ago, we talked about I am I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Is that three or is that one? 
I don't know. Strict question, Justin. Uh, two Sundays ago, we talked about how the Lord, he said he is the good shepherd. And in that same paragraph, he says, he is the gate for the sheep. Is that one or is that two? Trick question. We, well, we called it one. So in different uh, people have different counts of how many I am statements there are. We have said, at least in this series, that there are six. And today is the final in that statement that Jesus says he is uh, the true vine. So the very first point of this sermon is that Jesus identifies himself as the great I am. Jesus identifies himself as the great I am. That's, that's point number one. And it's something that we have kind of been hinting at all along, but I'll take five minutes here and talk about this, that he is identifying himself as Yahweh, as the God of the Old Testament and New Testament. He is claiming to be God, he, that he, Jesus, is the sole substance and the source of everything. Just a couple pages earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus is talking to some people. And he says that Abraham rejoiced at the thought of him. That Abraham, like Father Abraham, that he's talking to Jewish people. Jesus was Jewish as well. Their father is Abraham. And he says, Jesus says that Abraham rejoiced at the thought of Jesus coming. And people are a little confused. And they say that you have seen Abraham? And Jesus, in John eight fifty eight says very truly, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, he says, I am. And there's a period. And it, it, he is saying that he is the I am. We sang a song today that the great I am. Jesus is saying that he is this great I am. And let there be no confusion that he is saying that he is Yahweh. He is saying that he is God. Even the people in his midst, the people that he was talking to, picked up stones to kill him. Why? Because he was claiming to be God. And someone claiming to be God in their minds was blaspheming the name of the Lord. And either he was who he said he was, that he was in fact God, or he was the greatest blasphemer the world has ever known. And we are here this morning to proclaim and say that he is who he said he was. He is Yahweh. He is the Lord. And that's what makes our religion, uh, Orthodox uh, Christianity, the, the ones that follow the creed, uh, Christians everywhere say that that's the biggest difference between our religion and every other religion is that Jesus is God himself. We, we, I have friends in Utah who are Mormon and I have respect for them, but a respect in that it's a different religion that they follow. I have respect. I have some friends that are Jehovah's Witnesses, and we talk sometimes. I have respect for them in, in the sense that I respect any other different religion. It's not the same. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, even the, the, there's uh, 12 tribes up this Manitou Ave at the end by the roundabout. There's some wonderful people whom I respect uh, up there that follow religion that does not claim that Jesus is God. And so I respect them as I would any other different religion. But I would say that that's a completely different way, a completely different take on who Jesus is. Because here, he is saying that he is the I am. Turn way back in your Bible uh, to, to Exodus, and you will see the story of Moses. Moses is out. It, it says he's in the wilderness, and it goes one step further and says he's on the far side of the wilderness. And he's watching his father-in-law's sheep, and he's in, in the wilderness, and he sees a bush that's on fire, and it's not... It's not burning up, but it remains on fire. And he hears a voice. God says to Moses, you know what he says? The first thing he says is, take off your shoes. 
It's like here we're about to enter into this holy space where God himself speaks to another human being and holiness is required. Take off your shoes. He says, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Jacob. And, and Moses then hides his face, another act of holiness before the Lord. He, he hides his face and God says to Moses, I'm going to set your people free. They're, they're in slavery in Egypt, but I'm going to set them free. And then Moses asked this question. There's a little more dialogue, but Moses asked this question, well, who are you? What am, what am I supposed to say when people ask me who sent me? And God says, my name is I am, or I am that I am. And isn't it interesting that Jesus says those same words? This word in Hebrew is Yahweh. We don't know exactly how to pronounce it. The pronunciation has been lost. All we have is the consonants, the vowels. So my Hebrew professor, when I was seminary, in seminary, he was sure it was pronounced Yahweh instead of Yahweh. But, but it's, it's mere guesses on to how this word was actually pronounced. We do know that every time this word is used, and I think in almost every Bible that I know of, if you flip to the Old Testament and you see the word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is when the name Yahweh is being used. And if it's just capital L and then lowercase o-r-d uh, that's when some other name like elohim or something else is being used but this is the name the lord gives of himself to moses when moses asks, well who what am i supposed to call you it's the verb of being i am in the greek it's ego emi so in the greek translation of the Old Testament, it's called the Septuagint, came, about, came around about uh, 200 years before Jesus lived. Um, the, word, the words ego and me was used in the Greek. And if I could tell you a story, so a couple years ago, I was in seminary, quite a few years ago, and uh, we were supposed to take three semesters of Greek. And there was this course that was offered. It was my very first introduction to seminary. It was all three semesters of Greek condensed into one summer. It was three months of Greek instead of three semesters of Greek. It was nine to five Greek. That's all I did all summer long. I'd sit in Greek classes and then be homework the next day. So it's like, not only am I sitting in Greek for, from nine to five, I went home and had to learn and study vocabulary for Greek. It was before I was married and with kids. Uh, I do, thinking back, I was like, I had it so easy. There was people in that class that were married and had kids and had real jobs and I had none of those things. And I just got to study Greek. It was an awesome class. The teacher's name was Dr. Hammer, and he would talk about how he's going to give us the hammer, and he certainly did. And he was, he, was, he was a great teacher, and he would always have these hyperboles, like, and if you can find out that, I'll give you an A in the class. Like, he was always talking about how he'd give an A in the class to, like, something that was impossible. And he said, um, I'll give anyone an A in the class. He was talking about the ego of me, the I am statements in Greek. And he said that only Jesus uses this phrase, ego of me. Only Jesus uses it. In the Koine Greek New Testament, only Jesus ever uses ego of me. And he said, if anybody can find another example, I'll give a A in the class. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll look. I'd like to have an A in the class. And so I went about the old school way of doing things. This was probably when Logos software was brand new. I didn't have it. It would have helped me a ton. But I took out my Greek New Testament, interlinear Bibles, a lexicon, a concordance, and the Greek. And I began looking through every single time the phrase ego ami was in the, the Koine New Testament. And I found out for sure that, yes, only Jesus says it. But then I found this one little example, which is kind of like a trick example, because someone in the New Testament, I forget who it is, says, I am not the one. And so it's kind of a play saying they're not the, the, the I am, but it's in there. So I brought it to the teacher, and he looked at it. He said, well, I guess I got to be a man of my word. I'll give you an A in the class. So 
I want everyone to know I got an A in the class, even though I didn't, even though I had that as well. I just, I got an A regardless. I got an A anyways. But the point here is that no one, besides this one random example, says ego a me, that I am except for Jesus. And Jesus says it a whole bunch. He says, I am the true vine. This is the next point in this sermon, is that I am the true vine. I am the true vine. He says this in John chapter 14. We find out that this, or John chapter 15, this is the last couple chapters before he is going to be taken and he is going to die. This is what he says to his closest people when he knows he's going to die. Think about what you would say to someone if you're in a hospital maybe, I'm just thinking through an example, and you know you're going to die and your family and friends all come to visit. What would you say to them? Well, Jesus says... You know, John chapter 15, he identifies himself as the great I am, and he says that he is the vine. The Father is the gardener, and we are the branches. There's a lot of talk in this passage about who we are, the branches, and how we will be uh, pruned and trimmed, and who we are as the branches, and what we are supposed to do. Compared to a couple weeks ago, we talked about the good shepherd, and there really wasn't too much talk about the sheep. But here, there's a lot of talk about us. But first, we need to conclude this, this idea, or at least continue talking about how Jesus is the true vine. He makes a comparison, and saying it this way, that he is the true vine, he makes a comparison to other vines, other false vines, things that we can see in other people really clearly, like their problems, their addictions, things that they run to. We could always point our finger at somebody else, at least I can, maybe I'm the only one that does that. Um, never looking at our own self and saying, oh, I, this is a false vine in my life, but always seeing very clearly false vines in other people's lives, not because that's what we're supposed to do, but that's just what comes naturally. It's easier to to point the finger at someone else than at ourselves. But ultimately, he is the true source. If you take a branch and you cut it and you stick it in a vase, that vase would be a false vine. It's not going to bear fruit. It's only going to live at the most a couple weeks before it dies. But the Lord, Jesus, he's claiming that he is the true source for everything. The next point in this sermon is that we are then the branches. It says this, I'll continue reading. I am the, the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. He says it again. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are uh, picked up and thrown into the fire. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It's beautiful. It's this image of, of the vine and agriculture. Jesus uses lots of agricultural references. That's what people knew in his day. So he talks a lot about um, seeds and vines and sheeps and sowers and nets and wineskins and leavened bread and wheat and budding fig trees and sheeps and goats. And we are a culture that is very removed from anything agricultural. Unless you grew up on a farm, you really probably have no context for where your food comes from. 
mean, you might have a garden. You might get a couple tomatoes and make some sandwiches with those tomatoes in the late summer, early fall. But besides that, it's like, where's your food on an average day actually come from? We're, we are pretty removed from that. I think about uh, this example. It's not really food, but it's the water. So in, in Manatee Springs, just down the road, there are all these springs. And me and my boys, we always drink out of them. And it's always funny to watch a tourist come up and see these springs. It's like, oh, here's a spring. It's water. Can we drink this water? And, and it's like, duh. Like, Manitou Springs was named after the springs. Like, that's why this town is here. For these springs, the water that, that's, that comes flowing out of the rocks. And people are like, can we drink out of this? And they go over and they just, like, run their little pinky under. And they're like, oh. Oh, it's gross. It's yucky. Oh, it's horrible. It must be poison. It's like, what's wrong? Is, is everybody with me here? Like, it's just like, they're so, we just as a culture are so far removed that it's like, unless it's bottled and capped with a little uh, seal that says it hasn't been opened yet, it's like, can we drink this? I don't know. Yes, you can drink the water that comes out of the springs in Manitou, if you didn't know. But we are pretty removed from uh, agriculture. Um, I have a picture of a... Um, a plant. So we'll put up this picture of the plant and it's got all the different parts. Now I, this is a great degree to get if you're ever thinking about becoming a pastor, but I got my undergrad degree in biology with an emphasis in botany. Did you know that? Like no joke. So if you, if you, if you were thinking yourself, like maybe I'll be a pastor someday. Well, do what Joe did. Get a degree in biology with an emphasis in botany. Just for times like this, where I could talk about the terminal buds and the auxiliary buds and the petioles and the stem and the leaves. And here is a plant. This is pretty much represents any plant. Um, and so it just grows up and there's the terminal or uh, apex bud that's at the top and it just keeps growing up and out. And if you trim that, well then, uh, the auxiliary buds on the side, they will start growing, but unless you trim that top one, they won't start growing. So if you want a vine to be very fruitful and have lots of uh, spaces and, and other branches, then you would trim the terminal buds so that you get more branches. So plants always grow up and out from these buds. Like when I was uh, a kid in Boy Scouts, there was um, this like forest, kind of like this nature hiking trail that we were walking through. And on this tree, this big tree, was the sign that said, this tree grows three feet per year. Where will this sign be that was attached to the tree? Where will this sign be in 10 years? So like everyone's like, oh, if it grows three feet a year and if it's 10 years, that is 30 feet. So everyone, every, all little Boy Scout friends, they were like, this sign will then be 30 feet up in the air. But I was like, what? Are you all lost your mind? This is crazy. Plants grow from their buds. So I said, it's going to be right here in 30 years. And they were like, you're crazy, Joe. And they, they turned over the, the, the sign that had the answer. And of course it said, this sign's going to be right here. <laughs> I mean, this is like intro to botany kind of stuff. And I just, as a kid, like, it, I just loved this stuff. I loved planting. I always had plants in my room. So I always uh, had little experiments going on. I just, I just liked botany and plants. So this sermon gets me really excited on, on a level that's like, um, I don't know, bringing me back to my past and, and studying uh, science. So anyways, vines grow up. And uh, let, let, me, let me show you another picture of, uh, this is uh, the best picture I could find of a grape leaf. They're just the most simplified version of a, of a grapevine. So the, the vine is on the left, that's the one going up, and a branch would be going out uh, to the right. And there you see some grapes and the grape leaves. And does anyone know what those little long little finger things are, are called? 
the little finger of the Justin. <laughs> They're called tendrils, and they work by something called thigmotropism. So they go, they just grow out these little arms, and then if it feels something, like plants can feel, it's the craziest thing. If they feel something, well then it starts wrapping around what it feels. And so you've probably seen this before and not given it much thought, but it's a pretty cool process. So if, if a vine just starts growing and it's unpruned in any way, well then it'll just kind of turn into this really long uh, vine and it'll, all these uh, tendrils will be in action and it'll eventually just become this ball of, of mess of, of vine and it would be very unfruitful because it just all gets twisted up in itself and it'll just grow very long and more long and it won't bear any fruit but we need to bear fruit and so the next point of this scripture uh, of this sermon I should say is that we need to abide in him I'll get back to this vine analogy so this next point is we need to abide in him I'm going to continue reading verse 9 says as the father has loved me so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for their friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. So we are called to abide in him. And our growth is because the Lord, we are connected to the true vine, and the Lord, the gardener, will, will prune us, and, and that is sometimes a painful process. I think uh, I heard this quote that says, whether we, we're all branches, and whether we're not bearing any fruit, or whether we are bearing some fruit in our lives, Either way, we get the knife. We will be cut. And that might hurt a little bit, but it's for our own good. It's for the good of the glory of, of the God on this earth that his vine would be very, very fruitful. And what are we required to do? Well, we are required to abide in him and to love him. And that the, the love that, that the Lord shows through us will go out from us and be the Lord's love in this world. I think about the word love and how we, we use it a lot. We, we talk about how we love pizza and we love church and we love our children and we love God and it's all the same word. And I think about like what, what real powerful love is. Real powerful love is, is the love that Jesus says that you'll be able to give, you, you will want to even give up your life for something that you love. I had a friend, I didn't know this, this it was a woman, I didn't know her firsthand, but I knew the guy who knew her and she was someone who was a very severe addict of nar narcotics, the opiates. She would get pills. She would go into the hospital and, and fake these different ailments and say she was in so much pain. She would be, she'd be given uh, opiates and pills, and she was very addicted to them. And she, she stole. She uh, ran into all kinds of trouble. Why? Well, because she really loved this thing. She really loved these narcotics. And this horrible story that my friend tells me about this girl that he knew, he said that, you know, the, the hospital became pretty wise to her going in and saying she's hurt and she, she ended up like, well, she can't have all these different things. She's faking it just to get pills. The, the doctors, the nurses, they all knew this about her, that she was an addict. And so she realized she, she could no longer get pills by faking an injury. So he said that what she did uh, was she took her own finger and she put it on a table and she cut off her own finger. And she went to the hospital and she was able to get drugs 
because they could see that obviously she's not faking. She's, she's missing a finger. And his respect, he's a Christian kind of telling me about, you know, like, do we love God like that? Do we love the Lord so much that we'd be willing to lay down our life to please the Lord? Here in this, in this horrible example, this, this woman hurt her own body to get drugs because she loved the drugs so much. And that's not at all the same analogy that I'm talking about here with the love for God, that he wouldn't require us to, to damage ourselves like that. But the kind of love that, that we love the Lord with, would we be able to willingly lay down our lives for the love of the Lord? We are required to abide in him, of a long suffering, a, a voice, I think, that, that sometimes drives us away from God, or voices in our heads that we hear that say, stay away from God, or uh, you're, you're not good enough for God, and those would be things that would take us away from God. Those, those aren't the things of the Lord because the Lord requires us and asks us to abide in him. Why? So that love can flow through us. This is the last point of this sermon. It says this, that we might bear fruit that will last. That's what we need to do. We need to bear fruit that will last. Verse 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. This is my command, love one another. We've been called to bear fruit. And this word fruit, you can look it up in the Greek um, and see that the, the, the word fruit here is plural. In our, in our word, uh, English, fruit can be either singular or plural. Here it's plural, that we might bear lots and lots of fruit in our life. And how do we do that? Well, we do that by abiding in the Lord. That's what we're required to do. Abide in him and you just will bear much fruit. I was in a, in a, a tree store, a nursery in Utah many years ago, and they were selling different fruit trees. And I saw apple trees. And it was, it was kind of unusual because all these little trees, all these little saplings had like one piece of fruit on them. Like and it was just like perfect piece of fruit. I thought that's kind of weird. And, and being kind of a, a science nerd and into botany like I am, I went up and I looked at this and I pulled it down a little bit. And I saw that someone had actually taken an apple with a, a little stem and taken the stem and wired it onto the branch and then kind of hot glued it. And they did it pretty well. So like, it was just like these trees with like one piece of fruit on it. And I was like, what in the world? Like, who does this? And I, I was so curious about it. I asked someone who worked there. I was like, uh, what's going on here? He's like, those are apple trees. And I was like, yeah, I know, but it's someone, it's someone just put this apple on here. And he was like, he kind of played dumb at first. Like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, this, yeah, that's weird. But then he, he, he admitted, it's like, well, we just do that so the customer knows what kind of plant it is. And I was like, that's so wrong on so many different levels. It's a f uh, just one, by the way, it's just one fake little fruit on a tree. And I thought, how silly, that, that's like me. That's like something I would do in my own life. Tie a little fruit onto my life to show everyone, look at this, look at how cool I am. Look at this fruit in my life, but how fake, how unpleasing to the Lord would that be? Verse 11 says, have I not told you uh, have I, to I have told you this so that your joy, my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. It's this beautiful idea that is pleasing to the Lord, that, that fruit that is pleasing to the Lord, that we're not called to do these great things. We're not called to take an apple from another tree and place it on our tree and, and show everyone, look what we're doing. Look at this great thing I'm doing for the Lord. But if we abide in the Lord, fruit will just come out of our 
lives. We don't make fruit before we abide. I have this good friend, and I've asked him many times to share this story. It's just uh, something I think we all think about. His name is uh, William, or Big Bill. Some of you might know him. And when I first met William, he was rough around the edges, uh, <laughs> very rough around the edges. There was this, after church, we all were hanging out, um, a bunch of Christians, and we were talking, and just this and that. And the neighbors outside uh, had this slip and slide. And so <laughs> Bill was just like, I'm going to go do the slip and slide. And there was boys and girls present, but... Uh, Bill, who is uh, like a Spartan, a football player, a specimen of a man, uh, (laughs) just strips down to his underwear and does this slip and slide in front of everyone. And everyone's just like, uh, not cool, bro. So we had a little talk later. And it's like, hey, you know, after church when we're all gathered, can you refrain from just stripping all your clothes down? And he was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, why not? Um, Anyways, that one example of the silly example of William. But... Uh, a couple weeks later, this is probably like maybe a couple months actually, of him coming around and, and being interested in the things of God and Christianity, he finally says, I, I think I want to I get baptized. I think I want to give my life over to the Lord. And he said, but first, before I do that, I, I know I got some things I need to clean up in, in my life. Before I can uh, go to God, in, in this example, before I can abide in God, I want to you know, make sure I go and do all these things to clean up my life. And I, I looked at him and I paused and I just said, that's the exact wrong order. The order that it should be is that, that you will come to God and you will abide in him and then all that will happen later is that fruit will just come out of your life. You can't fake it. You can't try to make fruit come out of your life when you're not abiding in the Lord. Because we're always going to fall short. If we abide in him, we're going to bear fruit and we're going to fall short. Those two things. So I'm going to conclude with this, this just a kind of obvious realization that, that Jesus is talking about a vine here. And me and my friend Justin, uh, we were talking about it. It's very possible because John 14 ends with let's go from this place. It's very possible that Jesus was outside. Well, he was outside. It's very possible that he was standing in front of a vine, pointing out things, saying, here's the vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. My father is the gardener. Uh, we don't know that he was standing in front of a vine, but the people... In this time period, they, they knew agriculture. They knew what a vine was. They knew how it worked. And so Jesus is saying, abide in him. He's telling his disciples, abide in him, abide in him, abide in him. And what's interesting here, as we conclude, that, that these same disciples, not 24 hours later, would be denying him and, and running away and scattering. As soon as Jesus was taken into custody, his disciples just ran. In fact, Peter is, has the, we know from his story that he denies Christ. So here's this passage. It's the juxtaposed that, that it says, if you abide in me, then you're going to bear much fruit. And Jesus is calling them friends. Jesus says, if you ask me for anything, it'll be given to you. And here his disciples are, just like any one of us, that, that we fall. We, we, we fall short of the glory of God and continue need to be reminded that we need to abide in the Lord. So I'll end with a question. It's the question this, this series presents. Who do you say Jesus is? Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? And God, ultimately, we, we say that we are people who want to abide in you. Or we don't want to abide or, or be in a, a fake vine. We don't want to 
duct tape or fashion any fruit that isn't ours to our own tree to, to, to show off to others. But Lord, we want to abide in you and we want to uh, bear fruit, fruit that will last, fruit that will please you and your kingdom and your ways here on earth. Lord, you are the source. You are the giver of life. And we praise your holy name, your Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everyone said, Amen. Would you stand with me? It's our um, tradition. What we do um, is to together say uh, a prayer together. And today we're going to say this prayer of confession that many Christians over many years have, have prayed together. It's this prayer that, that confesses before the Lord that we are not perfect, that we continually need to abide in the Lord. So if you would say this with me as a prayer to God, it says, Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.